Welcome to the Cybersecurity Magazine podcast. I'm Philippa Jeffries and I also have with me Anand Prasad. And today we're talking to Tom Madsen. Tom has been in the cybersecurity industry a long time and is part of our editorial board and I'm um, and is currently writing or finishing a book on zero trust, which is the topic of discussion today. And so, Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I guess the first question um, we should ask is what is zero trust? Like, How would you define it? Well, there are many opinions on zero trust. Mm-hmm. There's many uh, opinions as there are people having opinions. My own personal uh, leanings is toward uh, seeing zero trust as an architecture framework. So and that's also this, uh, the definition that NIST have in their 800-207 uh, standard. They define zero trust as an architecture framework. However much the various vendors wants to uh, to sell a product or a license and say this is zero trust, it is a way of designing infrastructure. Uh, that uh, that uh, zero trust is a design philosophy, not a product mm-hmm. as uh, as such. Mm-hmm. And what are kind of some of the important features of this architecture that make it zero trust? Well, the zero trust is pretty much a full stack architect way of thinking architecture all the way from from the networking layer all the way up to uh, to, uh, to identity and access management uh, based on uh, on who you are and what kind of data are you allowed but it's mm-hmm. just about much who are you and what kind of network are you allowed to access so it is uh, pretty much uh, trust but verify all the way through the stack until the end user gets access to whatever resources the user needs. Uh, and in that regard, it is uh, it is difficult to implement a zero trust. And dif- by difficult, I mean you sh- not that you shouldn't do it, but it is mm-hmm. you need to start small. Most of the clients that I have talked to are looking at the networking layer then they go up until the and in the book I'm I'm, I'm using vendors uh, as uh, as examples uh, and even though I use specific vendors it should not be seen as though those vendors are the only ones who can help with a zero trust uh, because all the vendors have can help clients on a daily basis. So their technologies are the ones I'm most familiar with. But it is a way of designing your infrastructure, whether that infrastructure be IT or OT uh, related. The uh, the benefit of zero trust are have just as much value on the OT side, the operational technology, ICS, SCADA systems, as it has on the uh, old school IT systems. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It- if, if I may, uh, Tom, uh, being a security person also myself, I feel that uh, zero trust uh, is a is bundle of several basic security things that we consider. You know, I mean, uh, assets, uh, identity access control, uh, identity management, access control, things like that, uh, authorization, all these things bundled together. Uh, maybe a little bit more. Uh, would you agree with that as well? Yeah, I would. Uh, okay. It is. Uh, it is. 
it is extremely important because you cannot implement a gizmo and, uh, and just in the networking layer and say, now I'm zero trust all the way up through the stack because yeah. you have your identities as well. Mm -hmm. What are those identities allowed uh, to do? What kind of data are they allowed to access? What are they allowed to do with the data? Uh, I usually advise clients to look at what kind of data you have within your infrastructure. Do you have credit cards? Do you have medical data? Do you have you know, a research and development data? Who is allowed to, uh, to access the part of the network that hosts and manages research data that you don't want your competitors to, uh, to know about? Uh, and then base your, uh, uh, your design of the infrastructure to actually manage that all the way from the network to the actual access of the uh, of the data at the end. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if I if I may uh, expand on that uh, or request you to expand on that, I uh, hearing you, I uh, I do get a feeling that it is a, uh, not just technology. Yeah? It's not just putting no. boxes and doing things. It is a process and people. Yeah. Yes. I fully agree. I usually see cybersecurity as a 70-30 split. 30% technology and 70% people, processes, policies, uh, and stuff like that. Because you don't really, you, know, you can't really design your access uh, rules without having a policy for who's allowed to access the data and how and change and stuff like that. Uh, it's not really the infrastructures that are that have value nowadays. Of course, there are capex expenditures when you buy stuff, but uh, but it is the data that's hosted on the systems, on mm -hmm. the database, and stuff like that. That is the uh, that is the key value for all companies, especially research and development companies. So, who has access uh, to that data and what they can do with it is that's the way you should think all the way up through this uh, through the stack. Mm -hmm. So is that the real crux of zero trust then? Who has access and when they have access? Yes. And you manage that at the networking layer, at the server layer, at the application mm -hmm. layer, database layer. And you manage those and uh, make the sign decision based on the uh, on the risks uh, mm -hmm. uh, based uh, on the risk of people stealing the data maliciously changing the data or just lose the data because they clicked on something they shouldn't have. Okay. Uh, and risk is also a, a great communication tools to the business people when you say we need this because then you can yeah. support this technology and all sorts of other stuff. And the business people will not understand that. But if you communicate risk, if we don't do X, Y, Z, then there's a risk of ABC happening, which has a consequence for the business of this. Mm -hmm. That's something business people can understand, not technology yeah. and protocols and ports and bytes and stuff, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And what kind of more specific security measures are employed um, in a zero trust system? That's, if we start at the network layer, then uh, you are, uh, let's say we have talked about segmentation and in recent mm -hmm. years we talked about micro segmentations uh, as well. Meaning, uh, for instance, my own personal favorite is there's uh, this subnet where HR is, uh, is based. 
Should mm -hmm. A-star be allowed on the subnet where finance people are sitting and doing stuff? Maybe, uh, but maybe not, in which case you then just block HR people from uh, accessing the subnet where HR systems or information is is, uh, is located, and the other way around in cases where policy says you are not allowed to this. Mm -hmm. For research development companies, there's, why would uh, would I, as an office IT guy, need access to the part of the network or infrastructure where the research data is? Do I need that so maybe to manage servers, but what am I allowed when I access that? Should I be allowed to access the data or just be allowed to manage the servers, the network and stuff like that? So, so when we reach server and application uh, levels, then should I as an IT uh, guy be allowed to access uh, the uh, the HR data? Well, probably not. I may be, uh, be allowed to access the infrastructure, make sure it works so that HR people can, can do it. But I don't need access to the data. Uh, hopefully, I don't need access to the data. And all the, so on the individual layers, you make a decision on and design. And I'm a huge fan of, of um, saying good design is a good foundation for good security. So you design your network infrastructure by segmented, segmenting it to, the, to your needs. And then, of course, of that, you also authenticate uh, to, to the network. So the network knows who you are and whether or not you are allowed to access this subnet or that subnet and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. On top of that, you apply the servers, so, uh, the individual servers for uh, for uh, for the infrastructure needed for the various departments within uh, uh, within the company. That approach is exp uh, especially important for, for life science uh, companies, medical companies uh, mm -hmm. that deal with highly sensitive research data and health uh, information for uh, for people. Uh, okay, and um, I'm interested, how can organizations um, go about implementing Zero Trust to begin with? Like kind of what are some first steps that need to be taken? Well, the first uh, step is to uh, uh, make sure you know your infrastructure. Mm -hmm. and, uh, for, for large companies, uh, you know, doing the Big Bang uh, implementation of Zero Trust will uh, will be uh, a non-starter. So okay. if, if you want to do Zero Trust, then you would focus on a location or a factory for for OT. Uh, and for instance, one of our of the clients we have now, is building a new uh, medical uh, production facility. And of course, they have the, the opportunity from the get-go of designing and using Zero Trust for that, and they are doing that. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas they have a huge amount of legacy infrastructure where throwing Zero Trust at it would be, uh, would be let's be kind and say difficult, because they also mm -hmm. have, just like every other client out there or company organization, they have a lot of legacy. Uh, yeah. So it would be a process over months and years to implement zero trust. But the benefit at the end of the journey uh, is a much greater insight into what's going on in your infrastructure because apart from, uh, from designing the infrastructure, you also need to monitor and make sure that uh, the, the, the logging whatever events that you want to monitor in your infrastructure uh, so you can make sure that 
whatever policies you have are still being applied out there in the infrastructure. So it's not a, we have implemented zero trust, we are done. You also need to mm -hmm. manage it uh, going forward. So if I may, it is, uh, your book specifically also looks uh, towards OT side, ICS side, I observe. Yes. Is there anything you would like to add on that side? Yeah, on OT, uh, it, the, the benefits of zero trust in OT infrastructures are, it's not a low hanging fruit, uh, but because for, in the, for the past 10 to 15 years, a lot of IT and OT have been uh, integrated so that whatever OT vendor, Siemens, Schneider, ABB, whoever the, the, the vendor is in a company needs remote access to the OT infrastructure. So they come out there from the internet through the IT and accesses the OT infrastructure. That also means that nefarious uh, people will have the same kind of access if they hack or get access to the IT infrastructure, then they can jump to OT and they can uh, pretty much uh, wreck the entire uh, production network. And if the company can't produce their gizmos, they can't sell their gizmos, and it's very few companies who can survive that for longer periods of time, which makes the OT infrastructure uh, very sensitive to all, pretty much all companies. And with the new EU regulation coming, NIST 2, uh, where the certain infrastructures gets designated at crit as critical infrastructure, uh, the, mm -hmm. the focus for a lot of the the companies and organizations out there, water companies, uh, energy companies, medical companies, uh, uh, and stuff like that, who have huge OT infrastructures will be required by law to uh, secure the infrastructures. And zero trust uh, is, the, is the way to go. And that's also the recommendation to my own clients say, if traffic does not need to go into the OT uh, infrastructure, deny it at whatever point of contact there are between OT and, ET, uh, and IT. So yep. pretty much whitelist, uh, don't blacklist uh, traffic, whitelist this protocol is allowed into this infrastructure. If TCP is, IP is not used in OT, disallow it. It's an IT and OT combination and, and even beyond that and the yes. controls based on that. So, sorry, Philippa, please. No, no, carry on. Well, I was just going to say you said that integrating zero trust into OT is not a low hanging fruit. I was just wondering kind of what challenges there are in doing that specifically for OT. Well, most clients have uh, multiple vendors in their OT infrastructure. Mm, they okay. might have Siemens, some that's Schneider, some that's ABB, some that's a completely different uh, thing. Mm -hmm. The client who has an automated uh, forklift with a Raspberry Pi running on the back of it, automating yeah. the forklift. So the heterogeneous nature of many OT infrastructures makes it uh, uh, challenging because mm -hmm. various vendors will have their own protocols for communication with their uh, their. Uh, the devices out there, whether they be, you know, valves or PLCs and stuff like that. On top of that, a lot of OT infrastructure is ancient. A lot mm -hmm. of factories will run on the same OT uh, infrastructure for decades. Uh, yeah. With gizmos that are no longer supported or maintained by the vendor, but runs fine out there. So you have to to make sure uh, to uh, to 
take into account that some stuff out there cannot and should not be exposed to any IT because they will break or they are vulnerable or they have not been designed to uh, to deal with uh, with IT traffic. Uh, so, and the heterogeneous nature of a lot of OT infrastructures, maybe a factory will have a single vendor there, but another factory will have another vendor and a th third will have a third rinse repeat to whatever manufacturing sites you have. So you might have to, to take into account multiple vendors in your OT strategy. The most, mm -hmm. the easiest way of, of uh, approaching this would be to identify what kind of integration points there are between OT and IT. And okay. then what kind of traffic is allowed between the, uh, the, the two yeah. uh, uh, infrastructures. That's the easiest way to approach it. And then on the OT side, start when you are refreshing your hardware, whatever it is, start micro-segmenting it. Create policies for patching the PLCs and stuff like that. Because even though traffic is not allowed from IT to OT, well, then if you are an uh, uh, integration point between the, those uh, two infrastructures gets hacked, uh, then they will still have access to the OT infrastructure. So, uh, so patching is uh, will become mm -hmm. more and more important for OT, and all the all the vendors out there are have identified this. We need to make sure that we can maintain our gizmos in uh, in factory environments uh, for X amount of years, and that's usually for OT equipment decades. So. Mm. Yeah, I'm interested. You said you recommend zero trust for a lot of your clients. Um, do you get much pushback on that, or are they quite kind of interested in taking this on? Well, that depends on how many uh, uh, salespeople have been talking zero trust and trying to sell them mm -hmm. a device or a new software license and stuff like that. Pretty much all the clients uh, yeah, I have in Denmark uh, are are because. And in IT, where I'm located, I speak on life science, energy, mm -hmm. public. Uh, those are the three uh, pillars uh, that we have, are, are big within. And life science and energy uh, are, will all be hit by the NIST two uh, okay. uh, regulations. And a lot of the life sciences say, okay, let's take a look at this the zero trust. Uh, mm -hmm. and if you start and approach the clients and saying zero trust is a design way of designing or managing and uh, uh, implementing infrastructure, it's not a new gizmo in your server mm -hmm. rack or anything like that. They're much more uh, approachable uh, yeah. to, to talk about it, as long as you play with you know, open cards and say, it's not something that should be approached lightly. And it's not something that you can do within a week or two. It is a, a mm -hmm. an project. And most of them will say, okay, we, we will, we are building something new. Let's go with zero trust there. And then oh, slowly okay. site by site uh, or location by location, whatever, depending on the client, of course. Mm -hmm. They only have one infrastructure in one location. Uh, it's easier, in quotation marks, but still you need to do it on the networking layer first, then on the server layer, application, database, all the way up, and then focusing on your identities and managing zero trust, who has access to what. Uh, and whether or not they can do that also depends on the security maturity of the client. And maturity is it's not it's a negative way of putting it, but whether or not they are ready for taking a, a zero trust journey also depends on where are they now 
uh, on their mm -hmm. IT. Do they have a lot of a legacy? Do they have a yeah. uh, what kind of clients do they have? Uh, so, uh, so zero trust is the way to go, but it's not an easy uh, uh, route to uh, mm -hmm. to take, and you need to uh, so to make sure the client understand that. Uh, mm -hmm. So seriously, but the benefits at the end are uh, they're worth the journey. So Tom, you're also I also hear there that regulations are a good push to make it happen. Yeah, is that yeah, right? But the, the NIST two will 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 be uh, uh, make it a requirement for a lot of uh, of, uh, of of sectors, uh, even sectors that are wasn't really aware of uh, would be uh, be hit by it. But uh, mm. but when you approach the clients, we're saying you need to X Y Z because the law says so. The the client mm -hmm. will then will, will just know because they will feel like they have a pistol to the head. Uh, so. You, you know, when you approach the client saying, we, we know this uh, will we'll, we'll hit you and then we can help you without necessarily pushing a new gizmo or new device or anything like that. Uh, I'm talking zero trust uh, as that because it has, it's not been run into the ground by marketing uh, yet, but it is a lot of clients are, are, are saying, okay, zero trust. Mm, I've heard about that for the past two years. This can also help me with the NIST two requirements if they are are will be exactly. required to uh, adapt to that, and then we can say, okay, let's take a look and see how much work is in it. Uh, so, and a lot of clients are open to that uh, approach, uh, but if you start, you know, waving the law in their faces, they will mm -hmm. uh, look to someone who's more approachable. Okay. Yeah, I find that really interesting what you're saying about how careful you need to be when kind of recommending security for your clients. And I like how you keep calling it the zero trust journey. I feel that sums up security as well. Like it's not like you say you buy one thing and then your company is secure and you don't have to think about it again. Um, no. You mentioned maintenance for zero trust. Um, could you just talk a bit more about that, how important that is? Like it's not just you kind of implement all these things and then you're done. Yeah, because after you have implemented zero trust, the business will develop still. Uh, mm -hmm. They might get bought by somebody else, they will buy someone else and stuff like that, and they will have to integrate new infrastructures. They will have to uh, to redesign the infrastructure based on whatever strategy the business, ha uh, business has. And mm -hmm. they also need to uh, then, uh, in order not to, uh, to, 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 to well, zero out the, uh, the 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 work they have done for for the zero trust. Uh, make sure that okay, we we are thinking about zero trust when we integrate a new company, uh, okay. or when we change the business, or we upgrade our ERP system, whatever vendor that is, uh, based on new requirements. Because a new ERP system will also require uh, you looking at the data, data migration between servers, who has access, levels of access, and stuff like that. So it's uh, to to maintain zero trust. You need to make it part of the uh, of the IT or security policy of the company, so that whenever we approach or take a new project on board, uh, we will uh, then have to uh, to abide by whatever policy it has. Or mm -hmm. if that cannot be done, then create a risk letter 
uh, and then have someone uh, senior sign that, and we know this is a risk, but we will mitigate it or fix it down the road for whatever other reason that they have chosen to accept a risk for, uh, for a period of time. So mm -hmm. it's something you need to maintain, just like your uh, Active Directory or your firewall rules or mm -hmm. network infrastructure and stuff like that. So, so it's just a maintaining an architecture, no longer maintaining a gizmo or a server or a whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're kind of coming to the end of our time now, but perhaps um, time for just a couple more questions. Um, I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the future of Zero Trust. Like, do you think this will become perhaps one of the standard ways of security for companies or how do you see it going? I think it will be one of the the go-to way of approach uh, of approaching new infrastructure or new implementations. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be an uphill struggle implementing it in legacy or old uh, old or in yeah. older infrastructures. But I think zero trust will be the go-to architecture way of designing new infrastructures mm -hmm. uh, simply because of the benefits and the clients, even though they are tired of having vendor salespeople uh, uh, talk zero trust when they want to push a gizmo or license or whatever it is, recognize that zero trust is a great way to secure your infrastructure uh, mm -hmm. because you have security all the way up through the stack from the network layer all the way up to who is allowed to do what to what data and, and stuff like that. That also mm -hmm. means that you have hands in depth at the same time, you have a lot of visibility into your infrastructure uh, because of the locking and monitoring and, and stuff like that. So it becomes much more difficult for someone who has uh, gotten someone to click on an email in, uh, in HR for them to start uh, encrypting the OT infrastructure or the finance infrastructure and stuff like that. So you can kind of wall in your, uh, whenever you, you will still get attacked. Then we will still see a lot mm -hmm. of of companies uh, in the media getting attacked, but you can mitigate and kind of wall in uh, uh, how much of your uh, of your company gets gets uh, uh, hacked or encrypted mm -hmm. or whatever the the uh, the attack is. And if you then you know hopefully have uh, have good backup uh, on another subnet on another where you are controlling who has access and who can do that. Mm -hmm. and it's much here to roll back and and get whatever section of the company has been uh, attacked uh, back to uh, to speed, back up to speed uh, in, mm -hmm. uh, in, a, in okay. a Yeah, so it's not just about stopping the attack from getting places, but also kind of the resiliency of your company as well. Yes, um, it is. So uh, the smaller the, the section of the company that gets hit, you know, the easier it is mm -hmm. to recover. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, okay, thank you, Tom. Uh, it's been really interesting. Perhaps do you want to just finish by saying a few words about the book and kind of what it includes and, and what it can teach you about Zero Trust? Yes, sure. The, the book is uh, like a 90 to 100 pages book called mm -hmm. Zero Trust, an introduction, where I focus on the, on the well, pretty much talk about 800-207 from this. <laughs> benefits uh, of the individual layers, the network layer, the identity layer, the application layer, OT. There's even a, a, a chapter on 5G, G, uh, the mobile network uh, oh, okay. part, uh, and, and why 5G? Because 
5G is something you can implement as a private 5G network. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's becoming bigger, in, especially in the OT, uh, because a lot of those devices will be able to talk 5G instead of having a, a wireless infrastructure uh, on that. Uh, but that also creates a, a lot of exposure because yeah. once you design it right, then you will interfere or be exposed to the uh, whatever telecommunications operator that have 5G in the same areas uh, as, uh, as you. So. The individual chapters is on the individual layers, and of course there are examples from the vendors I'm familiar with, uh, but uh, but that should not be seen as the only vendors out there. Mm-hmm. Whether you use those or 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 not, the the way of thinking is the same for the individual uh, layers, and it'll be done in uh, in a week or two. Yeah, yeah, um, we're excited to see it when it comes out later this year. Um, and yeah, so thank you so much, Tom, unless anybody has any last comments. Um, great, thank you so much for joining us. And yeah, we look forward to seeing your book. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Tom.